You're listening to the Tour Station Western League podcast with Ian Knockholz and Tom Hiscott. Welcome, listeners, to the Tool Station Western League podcast with me, Ian Knockholds, and I am delighted to be joined on the line by Tom Hiscott, the editor of the Western League Bulletin. Hello, Tom. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well, thanks. Yourself? I am doing very well. Now, well. in new money, this is episode 32 this season. All right. But in old money, this is the 200th episode of the Tool Station Western League podcast, and I think that uh, I think that if if ever there was an occasion to raise a class and celebrate, it was that one. There might be people sort of weeping at home listening to this, thinking, "Christ, we've sat through two hundred of these, have we?" But um, I, I think the fact that we're still going is um, is something to celebrate. And of course, you know, you've always done the heavy lifting on the podcast because oh. really we remo- you know, we we take all of our content from your excellent bulletin, and um, uh, you know, I think that's a great testament to um, well, to you as much as anybody for the content that we've had over the years. So, so well done. Give yourself a pat <laughs> on the back. I will reciprocate that and say I don't think it would be anything without the heavy lifting you did with all the you do all the interviews, etc., and all the all the editing of my gaffes that people probably don't don't get to hear, which is for the best. Um, but yeah, no, it's um, when you when you. Said couple, I think it was last week you mentioned that we we're coming up on an anniversary and 200 episodes is quite quite a good going. So yeah, all the good times, good times, very good times, very good times indeed. Well, uh, I've got a treat for the listeners because at the end of this po- episode of the podcast, um, we are actually going to play you the first ever Tool Station Westernly podcast that was produced. You're thinking, oh my god, we've got to sit through about 45 minutes of this and now we're going to have to sit through another 45. That's not quite true, but your timings might not be a million miles apart. <laughs> Normally on the Tool Station Westernly podcast, we bring you two interviews. Today, because it's a special episode, we're going to bring you four and they're absolute belters. Uh, and to finish, there, there will be the very first outing that Tom and I ever did um, um, as well. But um, those interviews, we kick off with Martin Cassidy, of course, the CEO of Ref Support. And we'll be getting an update from Martin on where we are with the body cam pilot campaign, um, which we talked about on um, on the last uh, the last time that Martin was with us on the on the podcast. Um, but uh, that story has moved on quite significantly. And and um, and Martin was in fine form talking about exactly where we are with that. Uh, we will be going back to one of the managers, the new managers to the league that we interviewed right at the very beginning of this season, Dane Bunny from Saltash. We've got him on the phone. Uh, we've also we're going to be speaking to one of those managers that we've spoken to many times over the years, a great champion of the podcast. And it's um, it's great to, to welcome him back particularly for this a very special episode of the podcast it is Andy Crabtree from uh, from Warminster Town and finally before you get to hear um that um that pilot episode um from Tom and myself we will be speaking to the godfather of southwest sports media it is Ross Reed of course the man behind southwest sports news such an important twitter handle for so many of us in uh, in the grassroots game, and um, and Ross um, gives his thoughts on the season so far. So that would be a, a fascinating um, interview. But we're going to kick things off, as I said at the beginning, with Martin Cassidy, the CEO of Ref Support. And um, well, there'd been a lot of publicity surrounding um, the body cam pilot story. It all started when the Toolstation Western League published a letter of support that it had written for the campaign 
to the Football Association, that letter has been taken up at the highest level, not just at the Football Association, but IFAB, the International Rulemaking Body. Uh, so I thought it was a really good opportunity to get Martin um, back on the podcast and um, reflect on the fact that that story has moved on significantly since we last spoke to him. Oh, it's, it's moved on massively, but just before we go into it, I, I just want to say, like I say every time I'm on, I'm on here, you know, the Western League's in my blood, really. When I moved down here from Liverpool and I climbed the ladder, I, I've been on the Western League in every shape, form, as a referee, as a spectator, as a linesman, as a referee coach. And I've even assessed on there, even though I'm not a big fan of how we do assessments. But it's, um, it was wonderful to see, see the Tool Station Western League do what they did. Um, it absolutely was fundamental to, you know, what happens now. And for those who... who don't really know how, how, how it ticks, really. Um, all these law changes we have um, are fundamental to the game. We All we complain about, and ball offside, you know, the, the professional foul, all these rule changes, law changes, they call them, but I'm old school, and it's law, it's law changes, rule changes. No one really knows how they, how they, how they happen. You know, they're all affected us at every level of football. And, you know, when a handball rule comes in, you know, it's bloke called David Ellery makes an announcement. And and the rest of the world, the world, has got to follow by the by those rules and laws. So it, it always it always annoyed me, really, that, you know, football and referees and clubs should have an avenue to be able to say, look, this part of football isn't correct. Now, I found out that the conduit to do it is that you've got to go to the top of the FA, which is what we did, and we've been lobbying them since 2016. Mind, this isn't just a short-term thing. To say, look, have a look at body cameras, for God's sake. You know, players are always saying, oh, the referee never said that, or I never said that to the referee. The referee then gets accused of saying something that he or she, you know, may have not not, not said. And the way the process of disciplines um, arranged with the FA, which, again, I, I don't even think the... Discipline systems are fit for purpose. That's a, that's a story for another day. It's on balance of probability. Now, referees aren't allowed to bring witnesses, but players are, clubs are. So straight away, the, the balance of probability is in the favour of the player. So you get these naturally get these unjust decisions that, that, that happen in, in discipline. Equally, if a player doesn't have any witnesses, for whatever reason, they can't get there or whatever, then the balance can shift in the favour of the referee. Well, all we want is, that, is to be a clear, just balance for everybody, for players, for clubs, for anyone who, who gets accused of misconduct, and the same as referees. And the only only way to do that is having, having other evidential measures, such as a body camera. And we've said that body cameras is, is going to be there threefold. We believe it would be a deterrent. Some people who are a bit more considered maybe have a little bit of a, a thought before they say something. If they know they're going to get away with it, they'll say it. But they see a body camera there, they'll, they'll think twice. So naturally, it will diminish the amount of dissent, the amount of hassle, the amount of poor comments, which then can escalate into more serious offences. Then, then it's evidential who said what, which then proves, and that helps the game. But more importantly, it's a training aid for referees. And we've said, we've we've seen it, we've seen teams tweet about it, we've we've had discussions at our forums that we have on the Western League across the Southwest where it helps the referee be a better referee. Oh, he, he said this to me, or she said that to me. And referees not, not 
might not be aware of how they talk to players, how it comes across, that then could be an instigator for um, for more hassle, for responses. And then before you know it, you have an argument, ref gets cheesed off, here's a yellow, something else happens, here's another yellow. Well, it could have been prevented very early on by the referee acknowledging how he or she talks to the player. So it's threefold. So when we when we, we pushed and pushed and pushed and we kept seeing all these horrible incidences um, of referee assaults, we're fortunate enough to have Dave Brammer, who's a board member of, of, of the Western League, as a trustee. So he knows what we deal with as a charity. He knows how real this is. And of course, in his role as, a, as an assessor on the, on the Western League and, and higher, right up to the top, Dave, he's the top man. He's, um, he's seeing these on the front line as well. You know, he's seeing how they evolve into, into assaults. And he, he was, him and George McCaffrey were really fundamental in opening up discussion at board level at the Western League, which then resulted in them doing this letter, which went to the FA and then also went to us. It was absolutely fundamental because what happened was other leagues were then coming to me and saying, do you know what? If the Western League's doing that, so are we. And we're going to tell the FA. And it, it snowballed. So it was a huge, huge influence on the possibility of changing world football law. Now, I need to say that again. In the Western League's letter, has have a positive influence on the laws of football across the world. I'm not sure that's ever happened. Ever. So it was so welcome and such a game changer. John Poole, the rest of the board, just needs a huge pat on the back because a lot of people want football to change for the better. We want football to change for the better. We, we, we want more dialogue with clubs. We want to learn from clubs and we want clubs to learn from, from us and that the game will get better. But a lot of people are just a little bit wary about the consequences of putting their heads above the parapet. Other leagues haven't gone public on social media or issued a letter publicly, like the Western League. I don't think anybody else have, but loads have come to me and said, we'll support you, which then the FA know about. That in itself tells me that the game's changing and that leagues like the Western League and teams under the umbrella of the Western League need to realise that they do have power to make positive change. Don't sit there and think in P.O. Box 1966 in London, don't listen to us, because they have to. And there becomes a threshold where when something happens like this, and you've seen a little bit of it with the National League, didn't you, with the what happened through payments from the government for the funding with the Western League. When a league stands up, they can influence the change that they need to make their football experience better to increase income streams, which is what we want for clubs, more attendances, a better atmosphere who really wants to go to a game with the kids or the wives and partners and hear all the F words under the sun and, and poor reaction. You know, the whole game, we believe, will will get better across the world because of this this letter from the Tool Station Western League. And, and also the Tool Station brand should be delighted that their brand is being in every national newspaper, on every TV station, purely because of the balls of the Western League standing up to make a difference. So the Tool Station League, as a sponsor, the Tool Station company, have got a lot of legs out of this, and they should be very proud to be associated with the Western League. One of the things that interests me is, of course, as a, as a supporter, I've become acutely aware of the role that the FA play um, in, in organising, obviously, football, and particularly non-league football. And I think we learn... 
um, about the role of the Western League. We learn about the relationship it has with the with the Football Association. And then, of course, when you take it up to the top level table of, of, of football, which is very much in the news at the moment, you're looking at UEFA and you're looking at FIFA. But the organisation that you're talking to, the lawmaking body, is this organisation called IFAB, which sort of... To the, to the best of my knowledge, Martin, I would characterise as lurking in the background somewhere. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, that's my characterisation. But am I right in saying it was IFAB? They were the ones who needed to approve um, the potential law change. It was those people that we needed to convince as much as the people at the FA. Yes, exactly that. This body that appeared out of nowhere, almost like Frankenstein's monster. It's popped up to control the laws of the game. A lot of politics involved in it. IFAB stands for the International Football Association Board. So you do need somebody to say, listen, we're going to take control of the laws because every every sort of country will have their own sort of bias towards how they want to play the game. You've seen it on many different occasions how the game is run in, in different countries. So it isn't necessary to have it. But you're right. It is this sort of like... It's probably the only part of football where, you know, the, the snug in the pub, that smoke-filled room that no one really is allowed to get into unless they're invited. It's the only part of football where the snug exists, in my opinion. And it's, it's, you just, the, we're having, we're having an IFAB meeting, an AGM. Funny enough, it was supposed to be today, but because of the awful events in Ukraine, it's obviously being postponed. But it's the only part of football where, where we get told what happens. That's it. That's it. Oh, by the way, the law changes. Now we're going to be introducing bins. Now it's handball law is this. And, and now you're going to get you know, a yellow card or not yellow cards for, for certain offences. It just gets told to us, all of us, referees and, and clubs and teams. And what we've always been frustrated with as a, as a, as a charity is that we've got, to, we've got to then deliver those law, laws. I hate calling them laws, but they're, they're called laws. Those rules of football get delivered to a club. Now, sometimes the referee might not believe in those, in those rules. I, I know a lot of them don't, but particularly there's an awful lot of rules that we'd love to be able to change. And 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 that's it. But then we get the blame for it. We've had no, absolute no investment in that decision-making. This is why this letter is such a groundbreaking turn of events. And, and let's be honest, you know, we're first to criticise the FA, but fair play to the FA listening, to all of us, to us in the Western League and, and, and other people who have been pushing for body cameras. So, yeah, so this IFAB is this body, a quango, really. And it's mainly made up out of the UK federations, believe it or not. So it's, um, and then David Ellery, who's gladly going to be resigning soon. Hopefully he'll be forced to quit rather than um, resign his own accord after the, the investigation the FAA hold him. He's been instrumental in, a, I think it's 178 law changes. 178 law changes in a very short period of time, which I think is about four years, might be a little bit longer. That's, this, that's absolutely terrible. Why has someone got that much power to meddle with our games? Our game, it's our game, it's not their game. And another example of this letter is that it realises that the game does belong to us. It does belong to grassroots level. And and people higher up need to realise that. I don't want to sound like, you know, some dystopian author, like, you know, George Orwell and Animal Farm. But when 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 these signs are there that someone stood up against how the game's run and it has major influence, that's a massive, massive positive. So yeah, IFAB, I think it should exist in what it is. How it exists, I, th I don't think anyone really knows. But what it does, everyone should have more investment in, in those outcomes. We should be able to, a league, a, a, a team should be able to suggest 
positive change, but it isn't there or it wasn't. But now we know you go to you go to the FA, you have a discussion with them about a particular part of law, and then they they believe in that, they take that forward to IFAB to change world law. That's the process which has never really been defined. So the little poor charity in conjunction with a little league called the Western Tuesdays in Western League really has brought got now if it gets passed, obviously. A massive positive change to, to to world football across the world. I'm really excited about it, really. Yeah. I'm. I mean, and we have to give credit where it's due to the FA because I'm assuming that they wouldn't have taken it to IFAB if they didn't support the initiative. But I guess we're really just waiting on um, what IFAB have got to say. I mean, have you got a feeling in your water for whether this is actually going to happen? Two things on this means is one, I don't think the FA will put the head above the parapet if they didn't know positive change was going to come here and they can get the positive collateral from that. Firstly, that. I think they've been accused a lot, the FA, and I, I think I'll be the first to say that they've been making millions. The FAs, FAs with an S, the county FAs and the FA, collectively make about £8 million a year from yellow and red cards. Now, we've said no one should be making money from abuse of an individual. If somebody gets a, a yellow card and gets fined £10, that goes to the FA. None of it goes to the referees being abused or threatened or in the worst case scenario, it was beat up. No, none of it goes, no benevolence towards the referee. So as a business model, it's not within the FA's interest for a player, a club and referees to get on. It just isn't, it's not in their business model. So I've always thought that should change. This shows me, similar to the Simbins, that that isn't the case, that I'm wrong on that. I'm, I'm wrong that maybe the FA have really got, you know, the best interest of the game at heart. is a good sign of that. But interestingly, Neil Barry left. He was the head of refereeing at the FA. Now, when we have discussions with him, he absolutely dismissed it. I've got emails, and he, his actual words said, the FA have no appetite for body cams. And they always said, well, what, what does that mean? What, what do you want about no appetite? Football should look at every single possibility to make the game more enjoyable and better for everyone. Even in the articles of association of IFAP, it actually says that they will embrace technology to make the game safer and better and more sellable, I think the way it's similar to that. So why aren't they doing that with body cams? Then going back again, and I'm going to nail this on David Ellery and Neil Barry, we pushed for a body camera campaign and referees went out and wore body cameras. And three months later, the law was changed with the words no cameras. No one ever said who suggested that. No one ever said why that was suggested in world law was changed. It was just slotted in at the next law amendment. I've always believed that was David Ellery and Neil Barry, who were big influencers in IFAB. No one should have that power just to be able to change law across football without following due process. So it's been a long, long journey that, that we've we've got there. And like most things, the, 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 the wheels at Wembley turn really slowly and sometimes you just need a little bit more oil. And I think the Western League, what they said, the two station Western League, with that let's just put a bit more oil on those wheels to get them moving quicker. Well, let's keep everything crossed that IFAB do the right thing and enable the, the pilot to take place. Obviously, the Western League have put themselves forward. So that's 40 that's, clubs um, that, you know, that could potentially participate. participate. If we actually look at how it will work in practice, Martin, um, have you got to that level of detail yet? Will it be all the match officials wearing body cams? Will it be only the um, the referee? And will, will they be using that camera only in the 90 minutes of play? Or will it almost start from the moment they begin their officiating duties to the moment that they conclude their 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 time at the pitch? Have you, have you got into that level of detail yet? 
Yes and no. It's it's important not to be too forensic. Being forensic with something slows it down, doesn't it? And I think let, let's get out there and, and let's see what happens now. First of all, the referees are talking about costs. Who's going to pay for it? FA won't pay for it, clearly. But we all use technology already. We use headsets, referees at certain levels. We use buzzer flags at certain levels. We all buy our own buzzer flags. So they're a couple of hundred quid. Body cameras are a couple of hundred quid. But what we did when we announced this is that we developed an app which turned your phone into a body camera. It's a strap like, like what you would use on a body camera on the middle of your chest. You just basically put your phone on selfie, put it in airplane mode so you don't get any phone calls while you're in the middle of caution against you know, Warminster or something. And and um, it, it, it lasts over 90 minutes. The battery will run it fully charged and you can just let it run. There's no money involved. People are always worried about where they leave their phones. Stick them in the middle of your chest. We're going to do a free charge. The app encrypts the footage so nobody can see the footage. Nobody. So you can't use it without getting it back to us. We de-encrypt it, make sure there's none of it's you know nefarious and you know, and we can send it back to the parents. He will then he or she will say, happened in this minute. There's a little button you press on it as it happens. It puts two little red dots on it on the, what you download. We then download it onto our server. We see where the two red dots are. The referee is what's known as a rag system: red, amber, green. Red for horrible stuff, amber, not too sure, green for positivity. Because let's be honest, there's so much positivity in football. I wouldn't be so much in love at refereeing if I didn't enjoy my experience on the Western League. So there's much more positivity than negativity. But the negativity is absolutely burning up the positivity. So let's capture the, the positivity more than we do the negativity. So you'd red, amber, green it. We, we look at it. If it's something that we think is a inappropriate for whatever reason you know sometimes people walk into a dressing room and they might still have it on and, and there's people not with clothes on and stuff we check it all and then we send it back now we said to the fa on our app particularly that we were putting the t's and c's anything that they wish to have all the discipline processes whatever they want to do it we can even say don't go on social media with it you know as part of the t's and c's otherwise you can be charged stuff like that so it isn't used like vo is being used let's be honest Video's being used to batter referees sometimes. And I've even seen it used to throw another another club under the bus. Now, we don't want that. We want this to be really positive and, and make things better. So then you've got to drill down in, can that footage be used in hearings, in discipline hearings? Well, why not? If it's the truth, if it's, if it's a good angle, then why not put it in the T's and C's? Put it into the law amendments of what you what you say? You know, the canal can, can't not be be used in, in discipline matters. It's very, very simple in my, in, in my eyes. All, all the other bits of um, impropriety is, is what we're a little bit worried about, is where it's used, like you said. I think it should be used, but when you're walking out on the field to play, you see it all the time, don't you? Western League have a little ball there or whatever, pick up the ball, and that's where you start. And, I, and as you're walking off the field to play, and you leave the field to play, I believe it should be stopped. However, the laws of the game allow you to referee the game after the game's finished, and, and when you're still off the field to play. So again, that could be negotiated to say, well, you know, I'll turn it off when I get back into my dressing rooms, which then argues the case of like, we'll make sure there's no one with no clothes on, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it, to me, the boundaries are very, very easy to define. And I think it's like, can people be trusted with it? Let's be honest. Some people take their mick, don't they, and go too far. So let's just make sure there's proper protocol developed to, to frame how we how we deliver any footage that is there. But I think in itself, it's, it's the deterrence that will make the game better without the footage. 
we we did it. We've been doing this a bit on the QT. I'll be honest with you. You know, I'm not going to throw referees under the bus, but a few referees have been wearing our straps around the country, and we've we've used like the placebo effect. We've put like a false phone in there. No, it's basically a piece of a piece of card that looks like the front of an iPhone. That's had effect. People said, "Oh, we're on camera today. No problems at all. No problems at all." So we know absolutely it works. And what's happening is. The better players are saying, hey, hey, you're going to get caught on camera there. I'll be careful about you. Job's done. So it's the good people in the game, I think, will make this what it is and what it should be. It'll be a real positive development. And there's more good people in the game than bad. So let's prove it and let's make this a great success. One of the things that we'd like to promote on the um, on the Western League um, podcast is the great footage that's um, that's produced by clubs, um, you know, clubs like Warminster and Helston in particular, you know, Mausel have produced some really good match footage as well. And we like to celebrate that. Um, and of course, actually, we've got individuals like me. I often take my phone or my iPad and I'll mm-hmm. try and capture a, a goal, although it's, it's quite a rarity at most of the games that I go to. Um, and of course, your Twitter feed in particular, your social media in particular has highlighted camera footage that has been taken at games where we've seen incidents of very severe match official abuse. So the genie's at the bottle in a way. Cameras are already well and truly sort of being um, taken to to matches, even at our level of pyramid and clearly clearly above. I mean, in terms of the disciplinary process, in, it, it, what's the reality of using um, footage that's taken either by a spectator or by a club? If a club is taking a... Vi- they're videoing the game and they want to try and overturn a player's red card or possibly even a yellow card or a decision, I mean, are they able to introduce their own footage into that process? Well, at the moment, no, at certain levels, which I just don't get. If, if it proves something's right or wrong, let's use everything that's at the disposal. As long as it hasn't been sort of corrupted in, in a way where, you know, someone's manipulated to look like something. As long as it's clear. You know, they, they see a lot of, you know, some of the positions that you, you see from VAR, the best position is behind the goal. You don't want referees to referee a game from behind the goal, do you? But if there was a camera there, why not? I just, I, I just can't understand it. And that's why I threw that ag- accusation at them. You know, it's because of money. Because they want bad people to keep on playing footy because they get £10 for, or £20 for every time they're bad. But let's just get it right. Let's just get it. And what will happen is, I had a conversation today, funny enough, where a, a referee who stepped down, unfortunately, called Shane Mansfield, ex-MMA fighter, top intelligent intelligent lad, really good referee. So we never really got much stick because everyone knew he was a cage fighter, professional cage fighter. So nature of the beach, he didn't get any stick. But... Rich Fay, who's now obviously manager over at um, Melksham, I consider him a mate. When he was at Street, they refereed Yates, I think it was in an FA Cup game or something like that. And it's really ironic, I'm so, I was talking to Shane about it today. They lost 1 0. And Rich, being Rich, was waiting for him to come off the pitch, has a bit of a pop at him, blah, blah, blah. He said, I'm sorry if, if I got that penalty wrong, you know, I'll, I'll talk because he gave a penalty 1 0. Then Rich gets, gets a video. Said, look at this, look at this. It was definitely a penalty. And and Shane B saying, well, look, you know what? From I was, it looked at it. If that's the right view, I, I, I have to apologise. You know, I'm I'm sorry I got it wrong, but I was convinced I got it right. He then goes over to a boxing tournament, I think, in, in a cage fighting tournament in Croatia, I think it was. And he gets a phone call off Rich. He goes, oh God, it's fair again. Fair goes, I, I want to phone up to say I'm sorry. He said, well, what were you on about? He said, I just had another video from behind the goal. And it was something to do, 
with a company who was just going around picking games to video. And it was absolutely bang on correct. It was a penalty. And what Rich did, Rich apologised, but not only that, this is the good part of it. He then emailed the FA because he'd marked Shane down. Some, it's the wrong thing to do on one incident, but he marked Shane down and club marks are important for the promotion of referees. Rugs in the FA said, I want to change that mark from whatever it was, like Notorious 61 where you don't have to do a report. Change it to a 90. <laughs> he then changed it to a 90, which is wonderful. Now, we put a little bit of bar out on, on Twitter and Rich was on our podcast and we talked about it. Well, that's wonderful. That's what we want. That's what referees want. That's what the game wants. So going back to the, the, the you know, leveraging footage, that's a good example of it. That is a great example of the game got better, the relationships got better, the decision was correct. That's all we want, isn't it? Referees, fans, players and managers, that's all we want. So I think it's, honestly, I, I just hope people understand the potential of what the Western League have done here to, to you know, support us. It's a, it's a, it could be a, literally, literally a world-changing event. I could certainly talk to you for hours, Martin. Um, I'm. Um, um, we. I think we do in our next interview. We're going to have to pick up on this business of 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 the marks um, that yes. officials get and how they get them because I know it, that again is a fascinating area. I think. And assessors, voters, and assessors. Yeah. You know, we, we, people think that um, having an assessor there is a, is a nightmare for referees, and sometimes it is. But let's not blame the assessors. The referees change their game. The referees should be the same whether an assessor there or not. So everyone knows what a yellow card is. Referees under referee when there's no assessor there, not all, some, probably the majority, and then over referee when an assessor is there. That's no good for the game. That would be another good conversation to have yeah. about assessors and club marks. And I think it's really important to what football wants. And again, you know, talking about, you know, pandering to an assessor, which does happen, but then clubs need to stand up when then referees aren't doing a, 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 a bang on, nailed on booking. Because ah, there's no necessity here today. Clubs need to go, no, 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 I don't want that. I want to know what a yellow card is, whether there's a necessity there or not. And I think that is a good discussion for another day. Well, it, it will be. One final question before I do let you go. I mean, I know your organisation, you've always got, you, you're always into something. You've always got something going on. And it's fascinating that you've developed this app for the body cam trial. We've talked about apps as well that you've developed in the past. Have you got any other new initiatives? Have you got any exclusives for us here at the Tool Station Western League podcast? Well, yeah, we've started this kit bank, a referees kit bank, which is like a food bank only for kids. Because what we're finding is people can't afford to take up refereeing. There's people who from from the both parents might have a job, you know, there's not, this isn't like a, a benefit thing, you know, it's just the reality is that they can't afford to pay them £150 for a kit, £200 for a referee's course. We want to support both. And funny enough, Shane Mansfield has donated us a set of these buzzer flags, which are about four or five hundred quid to auction off. And the money we get, we're going to spend on new kits for people who will want to get in the game, who can't afford it for whatever reasons, but they want to look good in their kit. But also, what happens is, a lot of people, because of COVID, have put weight on. We all have, well, the majority of us have, unless you're committed to a fitness regime, which the time clearly, you know. <laughs> so the, the kit doesn't fit. So they want to buy another kit, but they can't. Because the kit's expensive, it is expensive. And you've got to put a badge on and all that. So this initiative of the Referees Kit Bank is all about donating kits to us, or donating funds to us, which we then use to spend on kit for referees and linesmen, or, or women, assistant referees, to, to look good and feel good about themselves, which I think that's been massively, massively embraced. And we know there's a couple of companies want to get behind us and donate it. So, so yeah, that's the initiative that I think uh, 
is going to really be another game changer. And we just want everyone to get on. You know, and feel good about themselves. You know, as a player, everyone will tell you what you like when you get a new pair of socks out or a new kit at the beginning of the season in August and you're putting a brand new kit on sponsored by whoever. You know, referees have that feeling too, you know, and let's, let's try, and, try and grab that too. And so, yeah, so that's that's the, the referees' kit bank is uh, something that's just being freshly launched. And my thanks to Martin for his time. Now we look ahead to the fixtures on Saturday, the 5th of March, and we're going to kick things off at Ashton and Backwell United against Tavistock. Now, of course, Tavistock are our league leaders. Ashton and Backwell United, well, it's the graveyard of champions, isn't it, Tom? Mm. They've already done for Mausel. Can they do for Tavistock? Oh, they sure could. One of the biggest, uh, well, biggest shocks of the season, I think, so far. Um, Tavistock going there. Don't believe they've lost before this since going, I think it was early September it wasn't that early in the season I don't know if I've missed a missed result when I had a quick quick look back through but it's been a long period of time since they have suffered defeat but that was that was the case again on, on Saturday afternoon the 2-1 uh, loss at, at Ashton and Backwell um, who were yeah 18th place so uh, yeah I don't think anyone would have seen this one coming would they uh, home side really started strongly and it was Kai Simpson after 20 minutes to put Ashton in front Tavistock, though, obviously league leaders for a reason. Uh, yeah, and they came back into it just at the beginning of the second half, drawing level through Josh Parry. Uh, but, it, yeah, it didn't take long for, for Ashton to hit back, and it was a 16-year-old who did it. Ashley Cummings, uh, sorry, Alfie Cummings, uh, apologies, uh, rifling home a, a brilliant free kick. And, uh, yeah, that put them back in front, and um, that was how it was stayed. Uh, Lamb's unable to break them down. And, uh, yeah, they did lose a man late on to a red card as well. So not a, not a pretty afternoon for for Tavistock, but fantastic result for, for Ashton Backwell. Now, um, I was um, I was commentating at the weekend. I was commentating at Canesham. I know we're going to come to that game in a minute, but we were covering goal updates. And one of the early goal updates came from Bridport. They'd taken the lead. And I had everything crossed for them, Tom, to um, to record, you know, only what would have been only their second um, win of the season. How did Bridport get on against Brislington? Well, hey, they got a point, uh, a fantastic point for them. Obviously, they've had a, a really tough time. I think everyone everyone feels for them, don't they? It's, it's not nice to see a team struggling as much as they have been. Um, and it did look, unfortunately for them, like it was going to be another defeat on the weekend. Uh, but they, yeah, they persevered, didn't they? They came through and, and grabbed a late equaliser. Um, they had gone in front uh, earlier in the game. Callum Arnold, after 28 minutes, put them, put them ahead. Uh, but then a couple of goals from Joe McLennan. I think he's recently joined Brislington, so a good impact he's he's been making. A couple of goals for him. Um, turned the game in, in the visitors' favour. And, uh, yeah, it looked like, as I say, Bridport suffering another defeat. Uh, but it was Arnold failed in the box pretty late on and then substitute Dan Bags came off the bench and tapped home an 89th-minute penalty. So pretty pretty nervy, I would have thought, leading into that. But he held held his nerves, as I say, and, uh, yeah, managed to, managed to score and uh, rescue a point for the Bees. So that was their first... First draw of the entire season, so a two-all draw there between Bridport and Brislington. And congratulations to everybody there. I know it's been a difficult season for them. We had them on the podcast not that long ago, and they really have been fighting a losing battle. So I know that you know that point, as much as it probably doesn't seem a great deal to many, will will mean an awful lot to a few there. And uh, and our and our congratulations to them. Uh, for that, uh, moving on to Buckland Athletic, not been having the greatest of seasons by their by their high standards. Of course, there was that excellent Vars run, but in the league they've um, they've toiled a bit, and uh, so they did against Saltash United on Saturday. Tom, 
Yeah, unfortunately they did uh, eventually fall to a, a 2-1 defeat, <clears throat> but from a, from a winning position as well, so that would have been a, another tough one to take. Owen Price heading them in front after after 19 minutes, uh, but then Soltash managed to, to draw level uh, 10 minutes before the break. That was through Neil Slateford. Uh, and then, yeah, it was another, just like at the Bridgeport game, it was more more late drama in this one. Uh, an 89th minute uh, effort from Ryan Bush uh, for Buckland, uh, saved at one end, and uh, Soltash break broke out, broke down, broke down the other the other end, straight from that, and uh, managed to to, to claim the equal uh, the claim the winner. Sorry, uh, Dave Barker slotting home, and dramatic dramatic winner it was, uh, just as the game headed into injury time, as I say, and uh, that was. Yeah, definitely how it stayed. It was a 2-1 win for, for Saltash away at Buckland. Uh, an excellent, if if not somewhat dramatic win for Saltash uh, at Buckland. And I thought that was a great opportunity to get Dane Bunny back on to the podcast. We had him back right at the very beginning of the season. And uh, I thought it was well overdue to get Dane back on to the podcast. And we started off by talking about that excellent result away at Buckland. Hi, Ian. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, brilliant result on uh, Saturday. Um, quite important that we bounced back after losing the week before, but, but Buckland's never an easy place to go to. So, so yeah, we were obviously delighted to get the win. And it was a bit of the late, late show. I imagine that your nerves were in a bit of a bit of a state by the end of that game. Yeah, we were due one of them because we have lost a couple in the last minute recently as well. So um, it was, it's, it's obviously always pleasing to be on the, uh, on the right side of a last-minute win rather than rather than the heartbreak of a of a last-minute loss. So, yeah, it's enjoyable. Now, you must like playing at home as Heath, because you won there in the Les Phillips Cup a couple of weeks ago, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I do like I do like playing uh, at home as Heath. It's a brilliant set-up, nice club, you know, a really nice environment to play football in. I think it would be fair to say that your form has been a bit of a mixed bag since Christmas. Uh, you lost away at Cabri Heath, but you did beat them at your place, of course. You had a very strong win at Bridport, uh, but you lost at home to Canesham. So, um, I mean, what do you make of your form since the turn of the year? I, I actually think our performances are, are better um, since the turn of the year. Obviously, the, the two losses you mentioned there, Canesham and Cabri Heath, were disappointments, but... In that time as well, we've also knocked Houston out of our own Cornwall Senior Cup um, and, and got good wins against two good wins against Buckland and you know, like you say, a, a, a win at a big win at Bridport and, and, and Cadbury Heath at home. So I do think we're playing better. I think what what we will take into next season is um, is, is that we have to learn how to grind out results when we're not quite at our best. Um, and I think I think some of the teams above us, such as like Exmouth and Tavistock and Mozo, those those teams seem to have the knack of, of being able to grind out a point when they might be losing, or or getting get, finding a way to to get the three points when they're not quite on it. And I think that's something for us to take into next season, um, and and that will be the main focus of of, of our uh, development going forward in at step five. I mean, it's really dog eat dog in the Premier Division, isn't it? I mean. You're one of six clubs on 44 points in the in the league. I don't think I've ever known a time where the mid-table has, 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 has effectively covered everything, you know, from, from almost the very top to the very bottom. Yeah, I know. It's, it's an incredible league. I mean, and, and obviously, as our debut season, this is pretty much all we know at this level. Um, and and, and I, was, I, was, I was talking to Kevin Hill, actually, this week, and... And even he's still looking over his shoulder. He thinks if one of the teams who are on 44 points still put a good run together, they could still impact the top 
top section of the league. Like you know, I think that I, I think a lot of those teams would have to find some consistency that they haven't found so far this season. So that would be a difficult task. Um, however, everybody in the league beats everybody. Like you know, I mean, we just seen Ashton and, and Backwell beat Tavistock on Saturday. Mm. So you know, you can't you can't rule out anything really. I mean. It wouldn't be a huge surprise if someone broke out of that pack and impacted that top three. So you're currently in seventh in the table. Do you think that's a fair reflection on where you are so far? I think it's got to be the league table. That you know, it's an old cliche, isn't it? The league table never lies, and I think over a period of time, you you are where you are, and 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 I, I think um, that's why the league is the most difficult competition because it's a it's a test of your uh, stamina and and your consistency over a nine month period over a what is this season a 36 game season I believe and you know the best team will come top and the worst team will come bottom and and those that finish seventh will deserve to come seventh what we obviously have have got at the moment is we've got time to improve that position we've got 10 games to go so hopefully we we can push on and our our aim really is a a realistic aim is, is to hopefully finish in the top five and 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 we think that will represent a good first season I mean just going back to those comments you uh, you mentioned before from Kev do you subscribe to that idea that actually there's a you know there's a joker in the pack there's a surprise to come or do you think that you know really Tavistock Exmouth and Mousel they're the ones who are going to be fighting it out for the title this season well I think if I think if one team does find some consistency then yes they could impact that top three um however teams that those teams that are on 44 points and 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 all bunched together, a bunch together, because they haven't had great consistency throughout the season. So it would—you'd have to ask why would the consistency all of a sudden come right now? But it's not to say it can't happen. But you know, I think it's unlikely. Now you've got Bridgewater at home on Wednesday. They were in excellent form against Canesham on Saturday. That's going to be a really tricky game for you, isn't it? Yeah. All. You know, which game isn't? You know, it's every game. It's a, we feel like we're going to war every four days. Like, you know, it's, uh, um, you know, every game's tricky. Every game's a battle. Um, so, so we'll be ready, and, and we're looking forward to it. Like, we look forward to every game, and I, I can't imagine Salt Ash is the easiest place to go to on a Wednesday night. So, hopefully, we can use that to our advantage. Um, uh, well, following that, of course, on Saturday, it's a trip to Canesham. And um, they're going to be a bit of a wounded animal after their defeat at home on uh, on Saturday. I mean, they obviously famously play on a 3G pitch. How do you feel about playing on that service? It's going to be a new experience for us. We have we haven't um, we obviously train on a 3G pitch, and but we haven't played any competitive football on a 3G pitch. There aren't any in the where we've come from in the Southwest Peninsula League. So we knew this day was coming, and um, we do train on a 3G oh. pitch, but it's a bit suck it and see for us really we don't really know what to expect so um, I don't think it's ideal personally Uh, I'd I'd much rather much rather games on grass but we'll see how we get on we'll see how we get on we obviously only played them what will be two weeks ago uh, come Saturday and um, so the defeat is is still fresh in fresh in our memory so we're going to try our best to uh, try our best to, to get to get something off them this time well, one thing you will get is a warm welcome. I certainly had one at the weekend. Now, the 8th of March is International Women's Day. You might wonder why we're talking about that on the Tool Station Western League podcast. But I did notice that um, you've recently announced that uh, your new chairman is indeed a woman. So um, you're, you're a bit ahead of the curve there, Dane. Yeah, I mean, we've got 
we, I mean, and we're not the only ones. There are obviously other clubs in the league that have got women's teams and strong and healthy women's teams. We've got two. Um, it was a project that, that uh, we started as a club about two years ago. Um, and then that's progressed on in that time to have a second women's team. Um, and, and the first team out in, the, in our women's section are, are very successful as well. And um, So it's something we've promoted for quite some time. And Julie, who's, who's taken over the, the chair of the club, is uh, very well known at the club anyway. She's uh, had the title of facilities manager for, for a couple of years. So she's pretty much at the club most days and, um, you know, working with various people at the club anyway. So it seemed like the perfect fit. And my thanks to Dane for his time. Uh, so next we go to Canesham Town, where the visitors were Bridgewater United. This was the game that I was at. It was the first game we've ever done our match day live broadcast from, Tom. Um, and, uh, well, can you take us through the tail of the tape? Sure can, yeah. <clears throat> so um, a 3-0 win uh, in that game for, for Bridgewater. So the away side coming with the points. And uh, the informed Jack Taylor to the fore once again for them. Uh, scoring twice, uh, he scored twice, uh, as I say, in the, in the most recent win a week ago, and uh, he repeated the trick at Canesham, didn't he? Um, it was a rare, pretty rare home defeat for Canesham as well, so uh, a good, another good result for Bridgewater, but yeah, Taylor scoring twice and also a goal from uh, substitute Adnan Hiroli, so uh, yeah, fantastic, uh, fantastic 3-0 um, win for Bridgewater at Canesham. Certainly was. Would really like to thank Canesham for their very kind hospitality uh, on Saturday, and to myself, uh, Ray Johnson, uh, of course, formerly of um, of Hallen and um, an odd down, um, and um, and James Healy, our social media manager, was there as well. That was your match day live team, um, for our broadcast. Um, Jack Taylor's goals, absolutely fantastic, um, both of them. In fact, all three goals um, were you know were incredibly well executed, and um, Bridgewater, I think, you know, both both managers um, certainly agreed. At, at the conclusion of the game, that um, Bridgewater deserved the three points and were the, um, you know, were the better side on the day. Um, all of the action from Canesham is uh, is still available to listen to online. If you go to the Tool Station Western League website, there is a link to the Matchday Live broadcast, which you can listen again. That, of course, was only half of what we were doing on uh, on Saturday. The other half was the Canesham was the latest stop on our Bath Mind um, partnership. Um, tour. I was um, very pleased to uh, present uh, John Allen with uh, th with the changing room posters, and there's a lovely picture that Canesham um, took and um, put on their social media of John and myself in the changing room where those posters um, will be displayed. Uh, thanks to the generosity of everybody there, including, I have to say, um, the players of Canesham Town who made a sizable contribution um, to our collection, which I'm very, very grateful for. The collections haven't just been about the supporters, although, of course, they have done um, the majority of the giving, to which I am incredibly grateful. But I just really wanted to say thank you to the Canesham players because that was that meant a lot, um, given what we're doing. And also a special mention, um, a, a match official, not at the Canesham game, but at one of the other matches that I've been to, um, also gave a sizable donation to the campaign, which is currently raised at the four matches that I've attended over £690 for Bath Mind. So I'm, in, well, I'm really grateful for the generosity and the kind support. And also um, going round the grounds, it's lovely to meet the fans, uh, so many of whom um, um, talk so fondly about the podcast. 
which I guess means more on our 200th um, episode. So, so thank you very much for that. Um, one final match to talk about, Tom, in the um, in the Premier Division, and there was a monster crowd of 213 for Shepton Mallet against Street. Yeah, they have a well local local derby, isn't it? Uh, played each other a few weeks ago, and it was Mallet who uh, yeah complete the double, uh, two 0 win this time for them, uh, home to Street. Uh, it was uh, exactly a month ago, in fact, that these two teams met. And, uh, yeah, as I say, Shepton uh, repeating the trick. Uh, and it was goals uh, either side the interval this time from Finn Haynes and Joe Morgan, uh, giving them a 2-0 win. So, uh, yeah, well done to all at uh, Shepton Mallet. If you're thinking, Tool Station, I know they'll save me money, but do they have all the top brands? You know, DeWalt, Makita, Einhell, Stanley, Myra, Kudox, Nest and Santex. Yeah, they do. Over 15,000 trade quality products in the range from the leading brands with prices that are hard to beat. If you want a helping hand to save on your next job, try Toolstation. With over 300 branches, there's always a Toolstation near you. Now moving on to the first division and we kick things off. Warminster lost their long unbeaten run, Tom, and I can only suggest that people must have been going loco at AK <laughs> Boco. <laughs> yeah, absolutely i'm sure they will have and uh yeah it was uh, uh well another one of those those uh late goals plenty of them on saturday afternoon uh and this one coming in the 95th minute was uh practically the last kick of the game uh goalless up to them but it was josh jenkins uh he scored the uh scored the well the vital goal for for bocco uh to as to say to end that um unbeaten run of uh warminster uh it sounds like they didn't one of their best on Saturday afternoon, but uh, yeah, Bocco getting the getting the business done there, so uh, three points for them. Uh, so congrats to the to the home side. Well, that's the first league defeat for Warminster since October 2021. So I started my conversation with longtime podcast favourite Andy the Crab Crabtree by reflecting on the fact that all good things must come to an end. Yes, unfortunately, Ian, we uh, we lost on Saturday. To be fair, we didn't play to the sort of standards we have been playing of late, and um, we come a cropper, so to speak. Last kick of the game, ironically, just after we'd had a goal disallowed uh, from the resulting free kick. It's funny how football works sometimes. <laughs> it can be a cruel mistress. I mean, the funny thing is, of course, you had been on an extraordinary run of unbeaten games, so I guess you've got to be a little bit mindful of what happened to Welton Rovers because they'd started the season in incredible form, but when their unbeaten run went, so did their confidence. And um, I guess that's really important that you guard against that now. Yeah, well, winning's a habit, just like losing's a habit. It seems, you know, through my time in football, you can get, you know, into the habit of losing or winning. And we... We were fortunate. We found a way to win every week. You know, we hadn't been at our best for a couple of weeks, and we still found a way to win. You know, but on Saturday that sort of run came to an end. But like you say, uh, Welton had the similar sort of problems. They had a few injuries and a few suspensions. You know, I, I'm mindful of that, and you know, hopefully, you know, what is a blessing is that we've got a game tomorrow night. You know weather permitting and, and we can get straight back at it and get you know get back on it so to speak because at the moment looking at the league table you're 10 points behind Sherbourne but you do have two games in hand and you're playing them on the 19th of March so this title race very much isn't over yet is it 
No, not at all, because we've also got to play Welton away as well. We, we've got a very difficult running. You know, we're under no illusions, you know. It's going to be difficult, and whoever wins the league, quite honestly, and, and I, I include Wynn Canton in that, and Radstock, you know, whoever wins the league deserves it, because, I mean, there's been some unbelievable runs. Any other season, you know, there could be any one of four teams would have, you know, walked away with it. How, how unreal is it that you've got two teams now that are 17 unbeaten, well, and had the 20 unbeaten, and ourselves were 17 unbeaten, you know, up until Saturday. It's it's a bizarre sort of league, really. I mean, in in the interviews we've done over the last few seasons, Andy. I mean, often you've had you know you've had good starts to the season, you've had good runs. Obviously, this is a phenomenal run, and you're having a great season. But you've you've been very quick to sort of highlight where Warminster have come from under your stewardship. So the fact that I say to you the title race isn't over, I, I think if I'd said that to you at the beginning of this season, if I'd so- talked to you about being in the title race, I'm sure you would have told me that, um, that you know, I was talking out of my hat. I'd laugh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I probably would have laughed, sorry. <laughs> but um, now obviously you want, to, you, know, you want to do as well as you can. And... And I, I'll, I'll be quite honest with you. No, I didn't think we'd be anywhere near the top of the table. And I, I you know, and there's still everything to play for. Yeah, Sherburn would probably say, you know, be slight favourites now. But you know, there's still playoffs to play for. You know, there's such a lot to still play for, and it does make it interesting. We'll be trying our utmost every game, like like we always have done. I, I you know, I don't have a team that just goes out there and just goes out there for the sake of going out there you know I want to compete every game I'm glad you mentioned the playoffs because of course that's going to be a new phenomena this season but I, I mean I'm fascinated by the psychology of, of the playoffs and with such an enthralling title race as the one that we have I guess that the sides that ultimately miss out on automatic promotion they're going to have to go again aren't they they're going to have to find a way of regrouping and refocusing on the job in hand so I mean do you think that perhaps the team that comes the closest will have the greatest disadvantage going into those playoffs? It uh, may play a part psychologically. There are advantages of um, finishing second as well because you'd be at home. I, I think I'm right in believing. I might be wrong, so. But I think I'm right in believing that you're you'd be at home in your let's call it a semi-final for the sake of, um, and you would be home in the final as well. So there is an advantage as well. But yes, I'd imagine if you finish second and it was by a point, you would be a little bit gutted so to speak let's move back to sort of matters on the pitch you've got Lebec up next in the Les Phillips Cup and then you host Bristol Telephones on Saturday and you've got to be looking for a, a reaction really in both of those games haven't you to that defeat at Bocco at the weekend yeah I, I will be yeah without doubt you know we didn't play but no, and, I, and I take nothing away from um, Bocco they, they played they battled and they put us under a lot of pressure and they played really well when I was speaking to um, Spencer after the game, you know, and they're, 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 a, they're a good good side, you know. They beat us at home and they've beaten us away. They beat, you know, they beat us when we were at home and, and they've beaten us 
I'm glad we don't have to play them every week, you know, because we wouldn't have a point. You know, we we got the Beck tomorrow night and we played them. They beat us at their ground. We beat them at home. You know, so we know how difficult that's going to be. They've got some really talented players. It'll be a tough game. As telephones are fighting for their lives, we know that's going to be tough. There's no given in, in Western League football. There never has been and never will be. Um, you and I are talking on March the 8th, which is International Women's Day. And when we talk about women's football, Warminster Town have one of the best teams in the county of Wiltshire. I know, they've done exceptionally well this season. Um, they were unfortunate the other week in the final when they lost to Swindon. But I, they bounced back this week and they won. So um, they're, still on, uh, they're still on course to perhaps win the league and get promoted, which is great for the town and the club, of course. Yeah, it certainly brings a lot of um, uh, credit. I mean, there's an awful lot of good things going on at um, at Warminster Town, and I think it's a reminder, isn't it, that although you and I have always talked about, obviously, Tool Station Western League football, for clubs like Warminster, which is a real community club, when you look at the, the first team, when you look at the women's teams, um, you, know, the, 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 you know, at every level, it's really important to see the club doing well. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to see our reserves push on a little bit you know we've, we've struggled this season for various reasons um, we've gone with a youthful approach with our youth you know with our reserve team um, and we will be chances are we will be having an under 18 team next year you know and that's where we're looking to sort of expand as a club on the men's side obviously you've got the women as well you know there is a good feel about the club at the minute and, and long may it continue now, earlier in this edition of the podcast, I spoke to Martin Cassidy from Ref Support. We were talking about the um, the body cam pilot that Ref Support are keen to do, and 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 that the Western League have have offered their support for. Um, I mean, you know, looking at it from your perspective as a manager on the touchline, what do you think um, we can gain from um, from putting body cams on match officials? I think there's. For both both sides of the argument, there, um, I think from a, a manager's perspective, you might be a bit more selective with what you say to referees. Um, not that I've um, had any run-ins with referees recently, um, but um, I know a few that have. Um, and I think from a referee's point of view as well because they would be able to look back and see and learn from it from A, they're covering themselves you know, because there, there is a lot of I've seen it on Martin's um, on his forum, you know, on, on Twitter and I've seen there's a lot of unsavoury instances of, of late and it's crept more and more into grassroots football which is, which is such a shame because, you know, if you can't play football without a referee, you know. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what anybody says, you can't play football without a referee. And they need, I think it will help them because it gives them a little bit of security because if they could take criminal proceedings against people. And also, they can watch it back and learn from anything, you know, untoward happens and how they react to it. And also, if they make mistakes, they can look back on it. So I think there's... You know, every... I, I don't think it's bad at all. I don't think there's anything you can say against it. Um, now, this is our 200th podcast. 
And um, one of the reasons why I was so keen on getting you on um, was because um, Warminster have led the way in the use of social media, not just podcasts and Twitter and all the rest of it, but also newsletters as as well. You know, really anything you can do to promote your football club and grow your football club, you have done to great effect. Certainly over the time we've been doing the the podcast. Now, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to embarrass you, Andy, but you've been involved in grassroots football for quite a long time. I think it would be fair to say. I mean, if have you ever known anything like the publicity and the media that surrounds non-league football that it, it, like we have today? I, I think it's brilliant. I really do. And, and, and I think, you know, you've got a lot of community clubs around nowadays. You've got Bocco, who we went to on Saturday, Longwell Green, you know, Radstock are a community club. As a Sherbourne, you know, and ourselves. And, and, and many of us win, win can and, you know, and it, and it's great to see, you know, because it's reflected in the crowds as well. Because, you know, I was at Froome, and when we were in the Western League, we only used to get like 150 then. You know, their crowds now, and and they've they've got the community feel about it, and it and it seems all the way down the crowds are, you know, at clubs that are community based, seem to have improved quite significantly. And my thanks to Andy for his time. Now, league leaders, Sherbourne Town, they were travelling to lowly Bishop's Lydiard. Um, we could have expected a hatful of goals here, Tom, and mm. we would have been wrong. We would have, yeah. I was going to say, they probably weren't at their fluent best in this one, Sherbourne. Um, but grinding out a result, obviously watched on as uh, Warmits have dropped points and Welton's game uh, was also uh, called off on, on Saturday. So they've, uh, yeah... Stretched their lead atop the uh, atop the division, haven't they? A two 0 win uh, away at Lydiard, and it was two goals from Alex Murphy. He's their leading marksman this year. Uh, a couple of goals uh, in the first half for him helped them uh, capture the maximum points. So uh, another win for for Sherborne. And one team that really wants to keep pace with those at the top of the table. We will be talking about the tables later in the podcast. It's Winkenton Town. Uh, they were away at Bishop's Telephones. Bish- Bishop's Telephones. That's a new name for what them. a what a team, they'd be. Well, exactly right. Very much so. I might even leave that in. Right. They were away at Bristol Telephones. Uh, and uh, it was a case of, well, anything Sherbourne can do, we can do as well. Absolutely. Yeah. 2 0 win uh, for the Wasps. Uh, goals from Jamie Thompson and Cam Veer in this one. Uh, obviously, they are, yeah, on a tear at the moment. 19 matches unbeaten in all competitions now. Um, so, yeah, fantastic stuff from Wincanton. And as is just like Sherbourne pulling away from those others. In the in the title race, uh, uh, Canton catching up on a couple of sides. So yeah, we think, well, we think they're a little too far back. But if they keep winning, there's nothing can, nothing going to stop them, is there? So uh, yeah, fantastic uh, result again for Wincanton. Yeah, Wincanton, they're coming up on the rails. They are. Um, now the final game we're going to be talking about in the first division is uh, Longwell Green Sports against Lebec United. And if you ever wanted an advertisement for why the, the, the podcast is so important in promoting our matches, it's this game. 130 people attended this game, the biggest attendance in the first division. And they all went there because last week Tom told them that there would be goals galore. Tom, yep. how did this one go? Right, it was eight all. Oh no, it was uh, it was nil nil. Unfortunately, um, I don't quite know how this happened. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, both sides came into it on ridiculous goal scoring form. I can't remember the exact stats, but I think Lebec had scored something like at least twice in twelve of thirteen. They'd played each other recently. It was a three-two result. 
Longwell Green. I think there have been over 20-odd goals in their last couple of games combined at both ends of the of the pitch, to be fair. But, yeah, so <laughs> I suppose fair play to them for, for keeping a clean sheet. The, the home side is probably happy about that. But, yeah, so there to be no goals at all. I was sat there on Saturday afternoon almost thinking, am I updating Twitter properly here? Is, is, is there's nobody at the game or... Or whatnot. I was just waiting for the the announcements to come in about goals, but but nothing came. And uh, yeah, got there at about you know ten to five in the evening, and uh, it was nil nil. So what what do I know, eh? But yeah, I'm sure uh, the 130 fans were was were sat there waiting just like I was for the goals to hit the back of the net. <laughs> well, over the years you've got a lot right, so I think every so often you're allowed to get one wrong. Um, right then, uh, let's look ahead to the fixtures coming up on the, the 12th of March, Saturday, the 12th of March. Uh, what's your pick of the pops in the Premier Division? I'm not going to guarantee goals this week. I can promise you that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we've got, I think the game is Tavistock Cleveland, isn't it? We want to see how the the league, the league leaders respond. Uh, surprise defeat on the weekend and uh, taking on a Cleveland side who got a yeah well-earned uh, win on the weekend, I think, with 10 men. So, uh, yeah, fantastic result for them. Uh, and yeah, obviously they're not going to be not going to be pushovers by any means. So let's see how how Tavistock uh, hit back. Now there's a lot of good games actually this week in the Premier Division. I mean Bridgewater Helston, I'm sure will be a, a will be a really good game. But I'm I'm going to go back to Canesham. Mm-hmm. Canesham take on um, Saltash United. Um, Saltash, you know, buoyed I'm sure by that win. Uh, Canesham, you know, will be hurting. I know that I, I spoke at length with their manager. Uh, John Allen, you know, who knows that they can do better, um, particularly at home. And I'm sure that better things are to come uh, from Canesham. Um, but Saltash United will present them, I have no doubt, with a very, very stiff test. And um, in the first division, Tom, um, what's caught your eye there? <laughs> Doubling down a little bit on, on Lebec, obviously, as I say, Drew... <laughs> Drew a blank uh, on Saturday, but um, them taking on Tiverington, two of the sides, I probably admit to not knowing as, as much about as some of the others. Um, we try and obviously cover them all as, be- as best we can on the pod and whatnot in the bulletin. Uh, but yeah, probably, as I say, uh, they're relatively new to the, the league or have been up and down recently. Um, yeah, but they're both in the top half. So uh, I think they're having really good seasons and they're in decent enough form, both sides coming into this one. So yeah, I think it'd be interesting to, to see how they get on on Saturday. Well, I'm going to go for 12th against 11th. AK Bocco, can they continue their good run of form, particularly at home after that win against Warminster um, by beating Old and Ambertonians? Of course, the side that sit immediately above them, they're actually on the same number of points. It's quite a lot of congestion in that table, as I'm sure we'll hear later on the podcast. But um, AK Bocco against Old and Ambertonians, I'm sure that's going to be a really competitive, good game. Um, that is our pick of the fixtures. Uh, on uh, on Saturday, the 12th of March. Um, if we take a little look at the league tables, Tom, um, do you want to sort of give us the runners and riders at the top of the Premier Division? Yeah, let's go for it. So, Tavistock, top of the table, 28 point, uh, 28 games played, uh, still on 60 points, obviously, after after defeat on the weekend. So they have a four-point lead over Exmouth, who are in second, uh, 56 points, and they've got a game in hand, uh, 27 they've played. So it is, it, uh, it's going to tighten up at the top, I think. And then you've got Mausel in third, who've only played 25. So they've got three in hand on Tavistock, two in hand on, on Exmouth, and they're on 54. So if they win those games in hand, they're going to go top, uh, as things stand. But obviously that's, yeah, looking too far ahead. But that is uh, the top three. And then the other team to have broken the 50-point barrier are Bridgewater. So they've played 28, and they're on 51 points. Quite a remarkable number of teams on 44 points. Ridiculous, now. yes. Um, I think it's six or seven of them, isn't it, within... 
yeah, within a point of each other from fifth to fifth to eleventh. So lots of movement, and uh, yeah, it just shows how tight it is, really. Isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Anything can change every single week in the Premier mm. Division. Um, looking at the bottom of the Premier Division, it hasn't really changed much. Um, Bridge, Bridport now uh, still in 19th, of course. They've played 30 games. They've got four points. Ashton and Backwell, that uh, win against Tavistock has moved them on to 19 points. Two points behind Street, but Street have a game in hand. And uh, Cadbury Heath, they're on 24 points. Um, having played 29 um, matches, so that's the uh, the bottom of the Premier Division. As we learn more as the as the season progresses about uh, what the likely implications of relegation are, then um, we will certainly be bringing you those because I'm sure those teams at the foot of the uh, the Premier Division table will be taking an active interest in that unfortunate subject. The opposite of that, of course, is the prospect of promotion, Tom. Um, we know that the champions in the first division will go up. We know that the next four teams behind them will play off. So what's that looking like at the moment? What is that looking like? It is looking like Sherbourne uh, stretching their lead. Uh, 32 games played, 75 points. Uh, fantastic uh, stuff from them so far. Uh, Warminster, uh, yeah, following that defeat, they're now 10 points behind Sherbourne. They've got 65, but they have only played 30, so a couple of, couple of games in hand on, on the Zebras. Uh, and then Welton, obviously, game cancelled on, on the weekend. So they are, uh, yeah, another game in hand, I suppose, for them. 29 games played. They're on 63. So that's how the top three go at the moment. And then we've got the, uh, yeah, rampant win Canton. 28 games played, 56 points. Uh, so averaging two a game. And, uh, yeah, down in fourth, they're probably, yeah, they're doing quite a lot right there, aren't they? Uh, and then, the, as I say, just like in the first division, uh, in the Prem, so we have another side that have just about smashed through the 50-point barrier, and that's Radstock. Uh, 31 games played, 55 points. Now, looking at the bottom of the first division, Devizes Town have played 30 and they've got 12 points. They're nine points away from Bishops Lydiard, who've played 29 games and are on 21 points. They are four points away from Bristol Telephones, who have played 30 and have got 25 points. And they are seven points away from Almondsbury, who have played 29 in 18th and they have got 32 points and again as we learn more about what the possible implications of relegation are uh, we will be bringing those to you on the podcast um, as we know more now before we do our usual summing up we are going to hear the wise words of ross reed he is the godfather of southwest sports news you will know him as the man behind the twitter handle at sw sports news um such an important tool for many of us in the non-league game, if not all of us. It's something I would certainly recommend um, everybody follow and everybody use because he has a huge following across the southwest of England. And um, if you want to get a fixture information out, a result, a half-time or a you know, postponement out there, his platform is certainly one of the very, very best um, you can use. And, of course, Ross is also across not just the Western League, but so many leagues around us, the Southwest Peninsula League, the Hellenic League, the Wessex League. And, you know, with um, lateral movement and promotion in and out of, um, you know, different leagues into different divisions, um, it's well worth keeping an eye on what's going on around us in our uh, in the pyramid, um, just to understand what might be um, the landscape that we find ourselves in um, next season. So Ross is definitely a man um, to uh, to keep to, to follow. Well, I started my conversation with him by reflecting on an, an incredible weekend in the Tool Station Western League. And we started our conversation by looking at that seismic result at Ashton and Backwell. 
just an incredible result. I think you, you get that, you know, I, I, uh, I think Stuart Henderson at Tavistock will, will sort of take it on board. And, and, and I think he'll be the first to say that, you know, you, you, no games are gimme. So it's the same in our, our league, isn't it? It's the same in the Western League. You get it throughout the Premier League and all, all forms of sport, in fact. You know I cover like loads of sports. So it's just an unbelievable result. And sometimes a result like that can actually be a positive, can't it? Because much better that it happens now with a few games to go and teams can sort of refocus on on uh, on their form rather than, of course, coming unstuck right at the end of the season and perhaps not making it over the line. Yeah, th- I think that this weekend will be a real test. They've got Clevedon at home and, and I, I've got a lot of time for Alex White's team. Um, they're a good side, aren't they, mm. Clevedon? So, again, they beat Helston 1-0 at the weekend. So, yeah, I, I think, as I said, I think Stu will look at it bluntly and I think they've got eight... Yeah, hold on, I'm looking at the league table here. Yeah, they've got eight games left to go, is that right? So, um, I don't know if you ever see it, but Cookie, Martin Cook down at um, Exmouth is always saying how Exmouth are under the radar. Yeah, they've been in second place since the season began almost, but it's, 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 it's turned into a nice little joke, actually. And, and that's the be- you know the, the beauty of the, the Twitter community that follows the Western League. You know, it's it's really nice. You know, the fans do get involved and they do engage, which is most of the time it's fantastic. It's all positive, so that's great. Well, and another club I know that's very prominent on social media is Mausel, and of course that result for against Tavistock at the weekend has thrown them right back in the mix. I mean, it really is looking like a a three horse race now at the top of the table. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they um, they're a great. You know, he again. I, I think it was you who put me onto their way at West film. I know they tweeted to me, but you know, sometimes I'm so busy, I, I should miss these things. And um, yeah, they they are a very good on social media. B Ashy is is superb for again his post match um, presses. Probably the best I see in the Western League. You know that that there's some really good stuff out there. Um, but he's always very thoughtful and he'll process everything before he speaks. And yeah, I like watching him uh, and he's a good bloke. You know, he's a top, top boy. Because obviously in, in your sort of in your role, you've been covering um, um, Devon and Cornish sides um, in, a, in a lot greater detail than, than the sort of the traditional media that would that would cover um, the Western League, which, of course, is really important over the last couple of seasons with the emergence of, of Plymouth Parkway and obviously Tavistock and Exmouth coming into the league. And now, you know, with the likes of Mausel um, and Helston uh, and Elfricum, you know, and uh, uh, Millbrook all joining as, as well. So it's it's really interesting to see how things are shaping up. But for those of us sort of traditional Western League watchers, it's also interesting to see in the league table that you've got the likes of Bridgewater, Bitten, Shepton, Mallet, you know, in fourth, fifth and sixth place. So this sort of takeover bid from Devon and Cornwall isn't quite, <laughs> isn't necessarily all it's uh, cracked up to be. It looks like there's life in the old dog yet. Maybe, but did you see Saltash as seventh and Helston are eighth? <laughs> and then we'll give them a ten. Yeah, I, I just think it's incredible. I mean, look how well those teams have done. Um, and Millbrook are on a bit of a march as well. You know, it's it's um, as you say, the, the, the clubs like Bridgewater, Bitten, and Shepton, uh, Mallet. Yeah, it's just I, I just think it's it's I think it's great. Full stop. I, I'm looking at the table now, and there's only 16 points from Canesham. All the way up to Tavistock, and Tavistock have got a four-point lead. So you squeeze that down, and and you're really starting to talk about 
you know, 12 points between uh, as many teams almost. And, and that makes it, you know, so exciting. Um, I know we, we've talked a lot about the first division race, you know, the Sherbourne, Warminster, Welton. You know, I, I just find this, this end of the season, we're going into the last sort of quarter, aren't we, or third. Mm. It's just so, it really does get exciting. It's a business end. I know that's a cliche, but it's just exciting to watch and, and see, as you say, those results. I mean, who would have ever guessed that to have stop losing at Ashton and Backwell United? But but believe me, the boys at Ashton and Backwell United would have believed it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, of course, I think one person who probably wasn't surprised was Jay Cash, because he went there with Mausel and lost as well. So maybe it wasn't as big a surprise uh, as it as it's proved to be. But I, what it has proved to be is, abs- you know, is pivotal in, in bringing Tavistock back closer to the pack and I'm really pleased you mentioned the first division as well because of course Warminster lost their long unbeaten run at the weekend Welton couldn't play Um, and Sherbourne continued to sort of go on their on their merry way Um, so it looks like they've got an advantage at the top of the table but considering how it looked like Welton had the whole league stitched up by Christmas you can never tell can you? No you you can never tell but you know let's let's face it Welton have still got those three games in hand on the leaders so it's just again I think I think that's what's happened with me, especially, was that with Tavistock running away with it in the Premier Division, I, I've I've concentrated more on on that um, first division just to see who's doing what really. And part of me, again, as you as you know, all those teams. That's what amazes me. I mean, we're talking about five teams, or or even you know, odd down. We're talking about the teams in in the first division, and because they are proactive, I mean, all of them. Lebec, you know, uh, everyone, A AK, it's Bocco, isn't it? It is. AK Bocco. Um, I was chatting to Jim the other day saying how, how it's great. They all get involved, you know, and it's it really, it makes for a fascinating, if you're on social media and you're also, because you can't be at every single game, you know, every weekend you can't be at 20 Western League games or 22 or however many it is these days. So because you can't be at those games, when you get these updates throughout the day, uh, it's just fascinating. It's just great fun as well. And teams are getting more and more informative. You know, we're now getting teams realising that. I know um, uh, Titherington Rocks are really good at that. You know, they'll they'll do, I don't know if you've seen their final tweet type thing. So after the game's finished, an hour later, they'll put up a tweet with the goals and the assists and, and the names and the tags and who they've got next. It's just brilliant. Absolutely. You know, I know I'm an advocate for Twitter anyway, but um, I just cannot get over. I, I think I did a, a, a preview the other week and I sort of said the engagement has been phenomenal. You know, it, it really has. And I don't know. I don't know if it's because it's post pandemic. I just don't know what it is. But there's certainly something that maybe it's just a very good season for it. But since Christmas, especially all those teams, you know, no matter where they are in the league, they, they get in touch I think what has done it, Ian, I've just, sorry, I'm waffling on here, but I've just sort of, well, I said to you pre this this interview, didn't I? I think what has done it a lot as well is when you get a couple of spells of bad weather and games are postponed, uh, again, the engagement was phenomenal. We were getting told about all the pitch inspections and, and you know, the updates on those and the games off or it'll never be played or, you know, can we get so-and-so, you know. Just and I think that has, has spurred people on. They, I know it sounds awful that storms do that sort of thing, but they actually do, you know, because they're all their games are off. And then, of course, the next week, all the guys come back and think, 
but it's game on this week and and they are proactive on twitter and long may it continue because it's it's great to see well southwest sports news sort of came into your own didn't you during the, the recent bad weather because i know you've always been a very strong advocate for um wanting to post information about matches and information about scores and scores updates which is great from a from a fan's perspective and and and, and hopefully the clubs sort of recognize the importance of that but i think when clubs look outside their own fan base they realize the importance that actually if a game is off it's the opposition fans who need to know about it as much as as much as their own supporters and that's really where where you came into your own over the uh, over the, the the storm periods wasn't it because we lost so many games and there was a huge thirst for knowledge on social media and it was great to have a place like Southwest sports news where we could go to, to find that information yeah thank you very much i mean that's what we we sort of sell ourselves as as a real football fans feed and website and and because we are real football fans we you know uh, the likes of kevin marriott has been covering football in cornwall and obviously in plymouth beforehand but in devon but but in cornwall for, for years and seasons now and and he feeds into it and 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 all over they they you know we've got some great um i hesitate to call them stringers which is the old word for sort of people who work on a freelance basis for papers but it is a bit like that it's 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 that um conversion from we've no longer got reporters out at every game um that are paid for by newspapers so instead you get these amazing guys who just and girls um who who, who send us over stuff and it, it, it's just great to see and and as i say i think you're right i think the storms of all things uh, the storms were good for southwest sports news and 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 what i try and do as much as i can and i apologize in advance if i haven't done this with your club or or, the, or this club but um I try and engage with people. You know, if they do send me something that is really good, hot information about a game being on or off or, or a pitch inspection, I always try and thank them as quickly as I can. And if I can't do that by Twitter, then I try and do it on the, the preview. Because um, you've this season, I've noticed you have you've developed your own content, and I, you know, you, we we can't stand still in the in the sort of the sports media business can we and and you know the previews that you do every week they're you know video content so obviously you're you're looking to recreate and repackage your offering in the same way that our clubs are looking at providing new and innovative ways to promote their sides and sort of and and, and show off their players yeah I, I hope so you know the whole idea I think we should mention is that this is I think my my thought process has always been the more followers I've got, the bigger platform it is. The bigger platform it is, the more we can rave about our amazing sports community, you know. Uh, and especially if that's if that's the Western League, uh, and this is the podcast for the Western League. But you know yourself, I cover the Wessex League, uh, not me, but we cover the Wessex League. Mike Robbins does a great job there. Phil Hiscock's inputs from the Southwest Peninsula League. Hellenic League, we you know we we interact with those clubs, and of course some of our our clubs in the Western League went over to the Wessex League, so they're used to dealing with me and and yourself and and Jim and, and the, the Western League Twitter feeds. So they're used to all that, so they 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 they've continued that in the Hellenic League. So it's, there is no plan to it, Ian. Don't don't, don't <laughs> think there's a plan to it because seriously, it's just been organic growth from day one, and that. That's all it's been. It's it's been organic, and hopefully we reflect what our sort of uh, followers want. You know that, yeah. I hope that's what we do reflect. And also, 
as I say, it's that you, you hit upon it there. It's that idea that a storm hits, some games are going to be off. Obviously, all weather pitches survive. And that's why it was a good choice for Kane for your match day live on Saturday because, you know, whatever was the weather threw at you, unless it was really bad, you, you were going to be on. So um, so going back to that point, the, the idea is that if you're, a, uh, which there are many hoppers follow us. So if you're a hopper and you're looking for the game, they come to us because they know we're going to try our absolute best to let them know by midday what games are on and what games are off. And that again has proved phenomenal. We, we've got, I think I saw somebody from Hull following us this morning, you know, who's a hopper. And, and they come down, you know, just incredible. It, it fascinates me as well, you know. If, if I wasn't fascinated by their, in, their sort of enthusiasm and their passion, it fires me up. I think, you know, when I think of something like that, if I think of somebody, I don't know, from Dorset who's looking to travel on a Saturday down to Mausel to watch a game, I think, how incredible, you know, what? Just incredible, you know. They, they always say about um, football league clubs and their followings, which obviously are in the hundreds and in the Premier League in the thousands. But non league's got this amazing sort of following where you know little mini buses go out and and, and go to a game and stuff. So it's it's great to see. Uh, one last question for you, and that's a bit of a scouting mission. Um, <laughs> we we uh, we're obviously acutely aware that you know, we will be getting some more um, teams from the Southwest Peninsula League next season. So I just thought, as you're the man in the know there, my knowledge of that league is, is um, sketchy, to say the best. Um, what, what What's it looking like? How's the Southwest Peninsula sort of shaping up at the moment? What teams might we be visiting next season in the Western League? Falmouth topped the West League and appeared to be running away with it. Um, behind them, there's an old Western League side, Liscard, but... Falmouth have been in the Western League and uh, in the past, and they, they've got a great ground, an amazing following. Um, the F Troop, uh, just phenomenal following. Um, really nice manager, Andy Westgarth, so they're great. As I say, Liscard, a previous, the Liscard and Saltash rivalry goes back for years. I mean, you know, I can remember it in my first days of reporting. So, so that, you know, both of those clubs are well equipped for the Western League. Um, in the East Division, I have to think about this because in the East Division, there's a Cornish side, Torpoint Athletic. Um, so I always have to sort of think twice about that. Now, they're second placed because I don't think O'Campton are a top at the moment and there's still a long, long way to go. So I hesitate to say anything. But but again, behind them are Torpoint. Um, you've got a lovely ground at the mill. And again, behind them are Brixham, who I actually played for in my younger years. And when they were in the Western League, so so that they you know Wall Park's a lovely ground. I don't know if you remember Bridgewater went there in the was it the FA Vars? I'm trying to think if it was the Vars or the FA Cup. It might well have been the FA Cup. You know, now I think about it, um, and they won't forgive me at, at Brixham for not remembering because I went. I think it might have been the FA Cup. I'm going to put my hopes on that. Um, but yeah, again, they they I mean, all of these clubs that I've just spoken about: Oakhampton, Torpoint, Brixham. Falmouth, Liscard, Wendron, who are third in the West, all superb on social media. I mean, really top quality. So they're, they're again, you know, they're a step below, but they're, well, they're not a step below your first division. So, but they're, they're all, you know, they're all the same uh, and their engagement is phenomenal. So I hope that's answered your question in some way. 
Excellent. Ross, thanks ever so much um, for your time. And always, uh, you know, your support. You're a great advocate of not only what we do here on the podcast, but also of the whole of the Western League and all of our member clubs. So um, for that, we're very grateful. And I look forward to catching up with you towards the end of the season uh, when we'll have a few uh, more uh, interesting discussions to be had about clubs going up and possibly coming down as well. Before I go, Ian, can I just say two things? One, uh, of course... We've talked about it. The Tool Station fans' um, Twitter feed is phenomenal. Um, everybody get on that if they can. They do a monthly vote for the First Division and Premier Division players and teams of the month. And the more people who go on it, it just makes it great to watch. It's a good bit of fun, and I love it. And, of course, I better not go without uh, wishing you all the best for your 200th podcast, which I think is 200 not out. Pretty damn good, to be honest. Um she should be playing for the England Test cricket team. <laughs> Couldn't do any worse. <laughs> <laughs> Thank good you, Ross. I appreciate that. Have a good week. And my thanks to Ross for his time. And my thanks to you for your time, Tom. Now, we've been reviewing, as we always do, your excellent um, Tool Station Western League bulletin. Where can the listeners find that? Yeah, that's on the uh, Toolstation uh, Western League website, and it's about yeah, it's about halfway down the homepage, isn't it? I think uh, just off to the the left hand side, you can click on that, and it will take you to uh, yeah, the most recent uh, um, uh, broadcast, which comes out every week. So yeah, that's uh, uh, always available, and Sunday mornings generally comes out just after 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 the games on on Saturday and whatnot. So yeah, that's uh, a weekly thing. Now, if I can take you back to October <laughs> the tenth, two thousand and sixteen. <laughs> um, I'm not sure whether you were doing the Western League Bulletin then. You may well have been. Do you know if... Is, was that the case? I, uh, I would guess it, yes, but I don't know for certain. You were certainly doing something else. You were uh, writing a column in a non-league paper, weren't you? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, that was that was where it all started. Um, that was a couple couple hundred words, so, uh, yeah. Um, I, yeah. I think I probably, yeah, either was, uh, was looking after the Bulletin or, or doing it. Yeah, probably couple of hundred words in a non-league paper has turned into hours of drivel with me every <laughs> week. Um, I mean, when we go back, we go back to 2016, of course, a world before COVID, a world before all sorts of conflict in um, uh, in, in far-flung places. Um, I mean, wh- when you look back on all the episodes we've done, I mean, we've seen so much, haven't we, over the last few years? I mean, are there any episodes, are there any results or games or runs anything that particularly hmm. sticks in your mind i don't think anyone looks back fondly on on covid do they but i mean obviously quite a lot of the stuff we do is is quite similar even looking back even looking back sort of five or six years or whatever but i think yeah the covid stuff was a little bit different when we had to sort of find something different to do that wasn't wasn't football-y if you know what i mean um they're probably more memorable than and than sort of the the weekly um grind should we say but um yeah <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's yeah. It's been I can't I couldn't quite believe. I mean, two hundred is a is a big number, but to twenty sixteen, you said that's quite yeah. remarkable. Quite remarkable. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm the same as you actually. I I think that um, um, some of the stuff we did in, we did during lockdown, I think was was really good. I mean, it was some of the, the my favourite interviews, and I, and I think I, I've always been interested. It's lovely to talk about the history of our clubs, and I think. You can, you can. There are times when you think that that's quite a self-indulgent thing to do because you know, if you take the clubs that I'm interested in, you know, the likes of sort of Devizes, you know, Welton Rovers, Radstock, 
you know, if you're a fan of those clubs and talking about their history and their big games and their big players um, is, you know, is a, you know, is really, is really interesting. I mean, this weekend at Radstock, at, um, at Devizes Town, there was a, there was a, a minute's applause for a, a, a former player called Tony Edge, who um, in 500 games for Devizes Town scored 500 goals. Now, I mean, that's the sort of statistics that we associate with Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi. Um, I appreciate there have been other players out there who've probably done that in their non-league careers, and I'm sure there'll be many people listening to this who want to celebrate those at their club. But, you know, what an incredible achievement. And to talk to club historians, we've talked to Gareth Paisy, we've talked to John Cuthbertson. I did a fantastic interview, not because it was with me, but it, just because it was brilliantly interesting for me, with Sandy Webb, who's written a book about the history of the Tool Station Western League. In fact, I should actually, it's the first time I'm going to go non-corporate because mm-hmm. it is, it's the Western League and part of the history of the Western League was the phenomenal um, sponsorship packages that we've had over the over the years, which I think have elevated us as a league, as a non-league, um, perhaps above you know others at our level of the pyramid. So, I think the history of our clubs and the history of our leagues has been something that I've really enjoyed hearing about. I never tire. We did a did a, a podcast during lockdown with Phil Orford from um, Westbury United, who I, I was I was happy as Larry because it turns out his dad signed for Portsmouth Football Club in um, 1939. And, um, uh, and I mean, he had a fact, he, he, you know, he, he, we, we talked about John Attio, of course, the Bristol City legend who played at, um, at Westbury United. We talked about his father. We talked about his own playing career and the fact that he went on to manage the side and become chairman. And it's those little stories. It's that little soap opera of, of, of our football family that, that I think over the years I've found really pleasing. That aside, I think when COVID, you take it out the window, at the end of the day, you and me are all about mud on boots. I know you love a goal scorer and mm-hmm. um, talking about the league tables, talking about the form table, you know, looking at, you know, this season, looking at the rise of Wincanton Town and what sort of impact they might have on the first division title race. It's those little things, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. you famously spotted Hengrove's ascension, which ultimately, of course, led them to be promoted that, that <laughs> season. You know, it's those little bits and pieces that we've done over the years that I've really, I've really, really enjoyed. So um, I don't know how long we're going to keep this going, but um, but uh, you know, I you know, here's to 200 episodes anyway. And um, and <laughs> I was going to say, long may it continue. Might be <laughs> people think probably long given up listening to this. Ah, well, <laughs> well, thank you anyway, Tom, for all of your support, and thank you to James Healy um, yeah, for his because um, he was fantastic during lockdown. Um, over the years, we've had other members of the Tool Station Western League board. I know Andy Radford, the general secretary of the league, has been a huge supporter of what we've done. He's been in a huge encouragement to myself, as has John Paul, our chairman, who, you know, at times, particularly during COVID, when information was so limited, the likes of John, George McCaffrey, our COVID officer, our fixture secretary, always stepped up to the plate. They always take the call. They always do the interview. They tell you what they can um, because, you know, it's an important part. Uh, the podcast has become an important part of the league and an important mechanism through which we can communicate um, with you. So thank you for for bearing with us um, over 200 episodes. Thank you again, Tom, for everything. And before we, um, we finally sign off for this week's episode of the Tool Station Western League podcast, I'm going to leave you with the first ever episode of the Tool Station Western League podcast, all two minutes and 30 seconds of it, 
broadcast on October the 10th, 2016. Welcome to the first Toolstation Western League podcast. My name's Ian Knockholds and I'm delighted to be joined by Tom Hiscott, the author of the Western League Review in the non-league paper. And it's been an exciting weekend in the league. Um, we'll start with the uh, we'll start with the Premier Division, uh, Tom. And uh, who were the uh, who were the big who were the big winners from this weekend? Well, Bristol Man and Farm, the number one. They've they've moved top of the table with a two-one win over Gillingham Town. Uh, goals from Dean Stamp and Jake Cox put them two 0 ahead before Gillingham grabbed a late goal, but it was nothing more than the consolation. They overtook Bradford, who dropped second with a one-all draw with Clevedon. Down at the other end of the table, Sherbourne have moved off the bottom with their first win of this campaign. They won 2-0 away at Brislington. Cadbury Heath were also big winners. They claimed a big 5-2 win at Wales City in one of the ground-top fixtures this weekend. Matt Huxley scoring a hat-trick. Difficult weekend for Bitten, uh, still propping up the foot of the table and um, another defeat. Yeah, unfortunately, that's their 10th defeat of the campaign. They went down 3-0 at Buckland. Goals for Lloyd Gardner, Richard Groves and Charlie Johansson late on put pay to another defeat for them. And in the top of the table, a clash between uh, Melksham Town and Willand, and uh, that puts Melksham back in the hunt. Yeah, very much so. I mean, got a game in hand on Bradford ahead of them, and a pretty comfortable win, to be honest. Uh, 3-0, helped by a brace from Lee Rogers. So moving down to the, uh, the first division then, uh, again, who were the, uh, who were the big, big winners this week? Canesham, again, they've maintained their place at the top of the table with a 1-0 win away at Bishop Sutton on Friday night. Hengrove also uh, victorious in the weekend, beating Radstock 2-1, while Welton Rovers moved off the bottom of the table with a 3-2 win at home to Chippenham Park. You mentioned earlier that um, it was a groundhog weekend. We've seen some massive um, attendances boosted by that groundhog weekend, haven't we? We have indeed. All seven fixtures, which were spaced out over the weekend from Friday to Sunday, saw crowds of more than 200 at every, every venue, starting on Friday night at Bishop Sutton with the match against Cainsham, which we mentioned, where 247 people were in attendance. And it ended on Sunday with Streets 4-2 win over Chipping Sodbury in the Premier Division, where 291 people turned out. So then, Tom, we can't let you go without telling the listeners, where can they read your report in the non-league paper? The Western Premier League Roundup will be found in the non-league paper covering the Step 4 and 5 roundups of the division, where you can find a Western Premier League review. And that is out on Sunday mornings in all good bookshops and news agents. <laughs> 